So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to have you turn with me to two places in Scripture this morning. We're in this series called Learning to Love, and we've been looking really at the home. We've been looking at marriage, and we've been looking at relationships, and we've been looking at the home. And this morning, we're going to go a little bit deeper in that. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, or you can use the Bible app, version, uh, you can turn or click to with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. We're going to use as a commentary, in fact, is verse 7 out of 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be the is going to be our focus verse. So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 31, and then uh, then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 is where we'll start. And so let me read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 31, and then we'll move to 1 Corinthians 13. Here's what the here's what the scripture says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. In other words, we're learning to love. Uh, we're learning to love better regardless of where we are in life. We're learning this issue of love. We're learning what it means to love. Uh, and so he's, then he says, this mystery is profound. And so for you and I that are married, that's like great news because what Paul has said is, is, is marriage is a mystery. Uh, in, in some respects, no one totally understands it. Marriage is a mystery. And so he goes on and him saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, Paul begins to give us the definition of love. That love is more than an emotion. Love is more than a feeling. Fact is, love, love is an action verb. Love is something that we do. Love can be fleshed out in our relationships. And then all of a sudden, Paul begins giving this definition. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he defines it out. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. I mean, I don't know about you. I just get convicted whenever I read this. I mean, this is some hard stuff, right? And he says, love is not rude. And that it, love is not rude even when you're angry, even when you're frustrated. And so he goes on and says, love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. In other words, that you walk in forgiveness uh, of relationships and people around you. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then here's our focus verse. Here, here, here's our checkup. And here's what he says, verse 17. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. And so when you start reading verse 7, and we're just going to walk through verse 7 together this morning in the time that we have, and you realize that maybe the most important word in that verse, well, fact is it is the most important word in that verse, is this, the word always. No matter what. In other words, when you look at the definition in the Greek of that word always, it means love is consistent, love is loyal, love is committed. In other words, in biblical relationships, we're committed to one another regardless. There's no qualifier. See, in, in our world of, of, of consumer, see, uh, con, uh, consumerism, that a lot of times in relationships, we replace the word always to the words like maybe, if, it depends, as long as it benefits me, as long as I get more out of the relationship than I put in it, then, then, then I, will, I will protect and I will trust and I will hope and I will persevere. And so when you start looking at what Paul is talking about, about this issue of, of love and this issue about relationships, whether it's husband to wife or wife to husband, whether it's parent to child or whether it's relationships, friendships, you realize this issue about love is it's, it's, it's a commitment. And it's a commitment that we make. 
uh, to one another. Now listen, oftentimes the doctor will order a checkup, and so today the, the title of this message is just what the doctor ordered. That sometimes we need to have a checkup to make sure that we're physically healthy. And sometimes, spiritually, we need to do an emotional checkup, and we need to walk through a list and say, you know, how are we doing in this area of love? How are we doing in the area of relationships and commitment and all those other things? So I just want to walk you through a, a, a checkup of your relationships. And so the first thing is this. The first thing that we need to evaluate, the first thing that we need to look at is this, is that love always protects. In other words, verse 7 again, Paul says this, says love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Now, in Texas, we have a, a bird by the name of a killdeer. You have, we have that bird here as well. Uh, and a, a killdeer is, is an interesting bird. It's a bird that flies, but it doesn't make a nest in a tree. A killdeer makes a nest on the ground, and it builds a nest on the ground. And so whenever a predator or, 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 uh, begins making their way or walking, maybe in their path, and they begin walking to the nest where there may be eggs or there may be some baby, baby birds or whatever, then the, the mother bird will, will begin to fly away, and she'll fly away, and she'll land on the ground. She'll go about 30 to 50 feet, and she'll lay on the ground on her side, and then she'll flap a wing like she's in distress or like she's wounded. And that's to distract a, a, a predator away from the nest. And then as the predator gets closer to the mama bird, she does that again. And she flies about 35, 40 feet away, lands on the ground, flaps a wing, until, uh, until eventually she distracts the predator away from the nest. And so what Paul is saying this, Paul is saying that we're supposed to have that same type of love for our family or for the relationship. That your love and my love, a biblical love, is a protection type of love, even in disregard for yourself. He's not asking you to be overprotective or to hover over. It means that you're alert and you're realistic about the threats and the well-being of those that you love. And that you have a type of love for them that you want to protect them. I mean, we've heard many times the, the ad campaign or the slogan that says, friends don't let friends drive drunk. To where if you have a friend that has had too much to drink, that you may protect them and you, you take the keys away from them and you do something so that they don't drive. Now listen, they may get angry at you at first, but you have a protection type of love for them. I mean, to where in relationships... When you see someone around you that you love deeply and they're getting into a, uh, whether it's an addiction or to a relationship that you know is going to be emotionally or physically destructive to them or hurtful to them, then you tactfully intervene. That's why in Proverbs 27, the, ver the, the verse says this, 27 verse 6, he says, faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, this word wound in the Hebrew, it's a metaphor. It's not a, it's not a physical wound. It's not a physical bruise. It's this emotional wound. In other words, it's a, it's a painful conversation that you have with someone. It's a painful word that you have with someone that you speak out of love and you speak out of friendship because you're, cur you're, you're concerned or, uh, uh, about the direction that they're heading in life. And you know what? If someone wounds you by a word that they say because they're concerned about you, because they're trying to protect you, when you and I know that they have our well-being at heart, when you and I know that they want the best for us, it makes it a little bit easier to accept those words. And so what Paul is saying, a friend, a husband, a wife, a parent, that you love, the way that you love those around you is that you protect them. Loyalty or commitment demand, demands that we, that we protect them and we get involved in the situations or we get involved in their life. And so what Paul is saying is this issue of love, 
This issue of love protects. This issue of love is committed and loyal even when it's uncomfortable or risky. Here's what he says in Galatians 6, 1. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who, who are spiritual should restore him. That word restore in the Greek is a really important word. It's, it's used a couple of times. It was a, it was a, it was a medical term. And then it was a term that, that fishermen used. And so it would be used in a medical context when, when, a, when, a, when a leg or an arm or a bone was broken and the limb was no longer useful, you would go to the doctor and the doctor would reset the bone, would restore the limb, would restore the arm or the legs to where it's useful again. In a, in a, in a, in a fishing context, a fisherman would use that term when their, when their nets would be torn and they were no longer useful for fishing, that they would spend the evening and they would restore the net, they would mend the net so it's once again useful. And so you see in this verse that, that the reason that you restore someone, the reason that you confront someone is so that they'll be, they'll be helped or so that they'll be useful. And so he goes on and he says, and this is the way that you, you confront them. This is the way that you address them in a spirit of gentleness, not arrogancy, not attacks, not any of that. And then he goes on, but keep watch on yourself. In other words, make sure you're spiritually mature enough to have that conversation, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so what, what Paul is saying is this love that we should have for one another, we should have a, a love that, that we, we protect them and we're, we're, we, we want the best for them and we get involved in their life. There's a, a couple of guys in the Old Testament, Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David were like best friends. The fact is, they were really, really close friends. And, and David was one day going to be the king and King Saul was the king at the time and that was Jonathan's dad. And Jonathan is hanging out the house, and he realizes that, that his dad, King Saul, is trying to set David up. He, he feels threatened by, set, by, by, by David. And so he realizes that he's going to have this banquet. He's going he's to bring David in, and that Saul's intent was to kill David. And so all of a sudden, Jonathan realized that his friend's life is at danger. See, friendship, loyalty, love demands that we protect one another. And so David, so Jonathan has a conversation with David and says, whatever you do, it's a setup. Do not come to this banquet. Do not get involved with this. My dad is going to have you put to death. See, love protects. Scripture says that Jonathan and David, after that, they had like this emotional goodbye because they knew that David from this point on, his life would be on the run and they wouldn't get to see each other often. I mean, you, you look at this issue of, of love that protects and then you realize how protective Jesus was of the disciples. I mean, he spent like three years with them, de de developing them and preparing them and strengthening them for what they would face. And he would say, be, be careful of the religious, be careful of the Pharisees, be careful of, of greed and, and look out for the false prophets and just be careful that you're spiritually mature and don't let anyone deceive you. And then before Jesus is going to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays this prayer for the disciples. And he says, he says, Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. What I am asking you is that you protect them from, you protect them from the evil one. It, it was this protection type of love that he had for the disciples, the protection type of love that he has for us. See, the way that parents protect their children is by handing their faith off to their children, by, by bringing them to church and and allowing their, their, their kids to see how, how they worship, how they honor God. 
to where they allow their kids to see how they make godly decisions, they make biblical decisions. They get their children involved in a children's ministry or a student ministry to where there's age-appropriate training. See, the way mom and dad protects their children is by handing their faith off to them. I mean, here a while back, I was watching that Michelin commercial, you know, where they, they have that stack of tires and they like, got that chubby baby, you know, in the tires. And, and then the, the, the slogan is, is, is Michelin says, because so much is riding on your tires. See, Michelin knows, even Michelin knows that love protects. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, but the Lord is faithful he will establish you. That's just another word for he will protect you and guard you against the evil one. So the first thing on your checklist is this, that love protects, that, uh, that we should have a protection type of love for those that are around. Here's the second checklist is this. Love not only protects, love trust. So love protects and then love trust. Again, that verse in verse 7, he said love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Now listen, when we get into this issue of trust, it's not a naive trust. It's not a gullible trust. It, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a trust that is easily conned. It's not a trust that never questions. See, the wisest thing that a parent or a mate uh, can do is to be skeptical of the ones that you love. I mean, growing up, and I've told you my story, growing up, we, we weren't raised in church, and, and, uh, and there were some of the things that were just totally, that my, that my parents never said no to. We had very few rules. And so, but I do remember those few times when I'd asked to do something, and mom and dad would say things like, no, you can't do that. And that was just a shock to me. And so I'd always come back, like a, a lot of teenagers do, and say, so you don't trust me. And then they would come back and say, absolutely not. No, we don't trust you. And so, so when I became a Christian and I'm, I'm reading this verse and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I wish I had been a Christian at that time. I wish I had read that verse because this verse says right here, love always trust. So if you trust me, you wouldn't care. You always got to read a verse in context. And the first thing that he says, love always protects students the reason your parents check on you the reason your parents aren't gullible or easily conned is because the first thing they have a protection type of love to where they want to protect you and if you have a mom or a dad that cares about you and tries to protect you from harm from issues in your life, you should thank God. This issue is not that they were disloyal. It was this issue that they're being realistic about the challenges that you face. I mean, if you, if you have a friend that, that shows a sign of, of, of an addiction or a sign of a, a behavior that's going to destroy them in their life, then it is not disloyal to challenge them. It is not disloyal to confront them because you have a protection type of love, but you also want to, uh, but you also want to build trust in the relationship. There's, um, I'll tell you a story. There's four high school boys uh, that, that, that had cars and uh, it was it was test day at the school and so they showed up to, to a teacher's class Mrs. Smith they showed up to her class like 45 minutes late because they they 
uh, they were late. And so they walk into the class, and Mrs. Smith says, where you boys been? And so the boys look back at her and says, we're so sorry, we wanted to be here, but we ran out of gas. And uh, sorry, we've missed the test. And she says, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm just thankful you're here, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to still give you a test. I'm still going to give you a test. It's going to be one question. I want you boys right now to separate, go to the four corners of the room, grab a chair. And so the four boys went to the corner of the room, and they got a chair, four different corners. She says, now take out a piece of paper, write your name on the top, put, a, put the date on the top uh, under it, and then I want you to write the number one and then answer this question. And so the boys are ready. And she says, here's the question. Where did you run out of gas? I may or may not have been one of those boys. <laughs> See, you guys are rushing to judgment. I run out of gas all the time. You're like rushing to judgment. And so you understand that this issue of trust and, and protection goes hand in hand. That you have a protection type of love for someone. You also want to build trust with someone. And the way that you build trust is being trustworthy. The way that you build trust is living a life in such a way that you're trustworthy. And as you're trustworthy, you build trust. And mom and dad in relationships are there to protect you. The third thing is this, is that love always hopes. I mean, love always hopes. Not, it's not conditional. It's not if. It's not maybe. It's not possible. It's not, 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 not possibly. It's none of those things. When Paul says, verse 7 again, love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. Listen, let me tell you something. Love is this. Love is hoping the best in someone. Love is wishing the best in someone. Every one of us. Listen, I've done hundreds of weddings. I've, I've been in, I don't know how many hours of sitting down with couples and talking about relationships and talking about marriage and talking about all those other things as a pastor. And here's what I know from talking to so many people. Every one of us needs someone in life that protects us, that trusts us, but also who believes the best in us, who believes we, who believes we can do it even when we don't believe we can do it. Listen, one of the surest ways to get along with people is to learn this, this issue of protection and love this, learn this issue of trust and then learn this issue of believing the best in someone. Man, we live in a critical society, right? We just need someone. Have you ever noticed how people gravitate? People gravitate to people who naturally encourage, who naturally support who naturally believe the best in someone. I mean, we need someone in our life with the challenges of life, the challenges of situations, that just hopes the best, but not only hopes the best, but believes the, believes the best. I mean, when you start looking at this issue, think of how trusting Jesus was with the disciples. I mean, before he ascended into heaven, he had countless conversations with these, these men that were unschooled, untrained. I mean, sometimes they were faithless. Sometimes they, they betrayed him. Sometimes they denied him. It was just like sometimes they were just so dense that you're like reading Scripture. It's like, when are these guys going to get it? And then the last conversation he has with them is, I'm going to the cross. And guess what? I believe the best in you guys. And you need to take this gospel and you need to spread it. One man once said, when Jesus ascended into heaven... Maybe the first conversations that the angels had with Jesus is, hey, what's your plan B? He goes, what do you mean plan B? They say, yeah, what's your plan B? We know those guys. I mean, we know those guys. They betrayed you. They denied you. They, were, they, 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 they struggled. They were dense sometimes. And, and Jesus came back and said, you know what? I, they'll do it. They'll do it. I, I, I believe the best in them. 
Man, one thing that we can do as parents to hurt our children is to remind them over and over what a failure we think they're going to be because of their actions. Every one of us, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, every one of us needs someone around us that is not a constant critic, not letting us know where we blew it, we could have done better, we should have done this, we missed that, we missed that, you need to do this. Every one of us needs someone around us that encourages us or believes the best in us. I, my guess is there's probably not anyone here this morning that would say, you know, my problem in life is I got way too many people in my life encouraging me. <laughs> you know what? They could just, they need to dial it down on the encouragement in my life. You know what? Usually it's quite the opposite. Usually it's, I, I just wish someone would believe in me. I wish someone would believe the best in me. I, I just wish someone would just, because if you genuinely care about people, you want the best for them. I told this story in all three services, or two, whatever we're in. <laughs> two, we're in the third. I know where I'm at. I don't know what time it is. Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, it made the news. You guys all know the story. Uh, between 9 and 1045 service, we, we got word, I got word, that uh, there was a home invasion on the east side. There was a car chase. Uh, they, were, they chased them through, uh, through Praise Assembly Church on the east side. Uh, the car crashed into a large rock outside of praise. If the rock, I mean, it's an amazing story. If the rock had not have been there, the car would have entered the church. Uh, so God spared them. Guy gets out. He, he's on the back side of the church. He runs through a crowd of people exiting, um, exiting praise. And fortunately, he was on the back side of the small parking lot. There weren't as many people. And so all of a sudden, with people coming out of church, they're getting people back in. And then the gunfight happens. And, and then we all know how, this, how the story ended. And when I first heard that story, I was broken for praise, even though they didn't have anything really to do with praise assembly. Yeah, I was broken for them. I, I think for too long in our community, we don't wish the best in other churches. We're all in this together. I wish the best, I pray the best for every Bible-believing church in this community because we need each other. We need each other. So last week I got with their pastors and we sat and we talked through the trauma of that and what went on and how they're taking their church this morning through the process of healing because of some of the things that they saw. I'm telling you, I'm, we don't need more critics. You know what we need? We need more people that just believe the best. One of the surest ways just to get along with people is to always to hope or believe that they're going to do well. That, that's what eliminates uh, uh, criticism and all of those other things. I mean, Hebrews 3.12 says this. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil. Lest there be in any of you an evil, an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, in other words, encourage one another. How much encouragement? Every day. That's a lot of encouragement. You encourage every day. 
as long as it is called today, that none of you should be, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm telling you, a true encourager, a natural encourager, seldom lacks friends, seldom lacks relationships. But I'm just telling you, a constant critic is one of the loneliest people in the world. This issue of encouragement. I mean, did you ever notice how much Jesus hoped for the best of his followers? I mean, he said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, a lot of times he got, he got the answer wrong, right? Sometimes Simon Peter said wrong stuff. He, he just engaged his mouth before he engaged his mind. And then Jesus asked a question, says, all the disciples, who do you say I am? And, and, and Simon Peter gets the answer right. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what, Simon Peter? I basically believe the best in you. And that statement, on that statement, I will build my church. And you know what? As a result of that, I'm changing your name. I'm changing your name to the rock because I believe in you and I believe you'll live up to that name. To the woman caught in adultery. Remember the woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees caught her in the act. And they drag her out into the city and they got her in the city and they're humiliating her and they're embarrassing her. And Jesus intervenes. And he, 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 he has a conversation with her. And then he basically tells her. He didn't take her through all the men that she had been with. He didn't tell her every mistake that she had made. He didn't tell her any of that. He led her into a relationship with him. And then he said, just go and sin no more because I believe the best in you. You see this over and over in Scripture. I mean, every good parent hopes and wishes the best for their child. Every husband should wish the, and hope the best for their spouse and every wife the same. Because every one of us needs someone in our life that believes the best in us. Listen, I, I wasn't raised in church and we went to church just a handful of times. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden my family ends up with this guy that's now a pastor. And it took, it took my family years to figure out what to do with me. And I never will forget when my dad, my dad was in his in his 70s. And uh, so he calls me and he says, son, he said, I'd like to hear you preach. And I, really? He goes, yeah, I'd like to hear you preach. And so he says, is there any way you can send me a cassette tape? And uh, yeah, yeah, some of you younger guys, ask your parents, Google it, what is a cassette tape? You'll figure it out. <laughs> so every week we would, we would send my dad cassette tapes of my sermon. I get this call from my mom and dad, and they always put you on speakerphone, and you're just crazy. They'd end up, anyway, it doesn't even matter, but they'd have a conversation with each other. Again, you know, it was just, it was nuts. And so my dad calls and says, son, I just, I just heard, I heard, I heard your sermon. And he says, I just need to tell you that was the best sermon I've ever heard. And we listened to it twice. And he said it was just so good. And he says, you know, as a result of that, I'm making copies right now. I'm sending those, those, that tape out to your brothers and sisters, and I'm going to require that they listen to it also. I'm like, oh, they're going to hate me now. And he says, he says but I just got to tell you, that's, that's a really good sermon. Now, listen, my dad didn't, didn't go to church much. He wasn't a theologian. Uh, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't read the Bible. But he knew good preaching when he heard it. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. I am so, I am so teasing. But you know what? I still remember. Listen, I still remember that. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. You need to hear somebody that says, we believe in you. I believe the best in you. I mean, I, I just believe I believe you can do it. I mean, remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son totally messed over his dad. And he like leaves home and he squanders his inheritance and he squanders his dad's money. 
And he comes back home. And you know where dad was? The scripture says dad was on the front porch watching for him. You know why he was on the front porch watching for him? Because he believed the best in his son. Even when his son was a prodigal. And when his son returned, he didn't give him a lecture. He didn't tell him all the stuff that he did wrong, how he hurt him. In fact, is his son tried to start confessing. He said, Dad, I'm so sorry. And he stopped him right there. He said, I forgive you. And we're going to celebrate because my son is home. His son, his dad believed the best in him and said, you know what? This time, this time it's for real. This time he's going to turn his life around because he believed in him. Every one of us needs someone that encourages us and believes in us. The last thing is this in the, 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 the relational checkup is this, is that love always perseveres. In other words, love has this, this, this perseverance. In other words, love lasts. Love stays through difficult times. Love goes through seasons of life. Listen, I relish. I love long-lasting relationships and long-lasting friendships. For me, there's safety there. There's comfort in. I, I just find comfort in that. And, 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 and we've said that it, it just takes a long time to be old friends. That you need to go through enough struggles and enough difficulties and enough challenges to where you start understanding, guess what? I can trust them. Guess what? They do have a protection type of love. And, and uh, for me and all the other relationships, because if you're, listen, if you're going to have a love that lasts. There's, there has to be perseverance. One of, one of my closest friends, we started being, fr we, we met in the fourth grade. Uh, we were friends all the way through, through elementary school, through junior high, through high school. His name's Phil Barrett. Uh, fact is, Phil was one of the boys in the story, the hypothetical story. <laughs> and then in my 20s, I meet Christ. And Phil and I are still close to this day, and so I, I meet Christ. And, and Phil was with me, and I was with Phil through all those difficult seasons of life. So Phil and I had scheduled a, a deer hunt. And I know people from Colorado hate the way we hunt in Texas, but, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're in the deer stand, and the feeder goes off at 2, so we know the deer show up about 1.30 to get in the pen, get ready for the corn to fall, uh, because... Who wants to get up early just to shoot a deer? And so you might as well, you know, sleep in, eat a good lunch, get in the recliner in the deer blind and get the heater going and everything else. And so we're waiting for the corn to drop and it's about, it's about 1.30 and I say, hey, Phil, there's something I got to tell you. I'm at Christ. Christ totally changed my life. Now I'm holding a 30-30, he's holding a 30-06. And so I'm like, you know, Christ totally changed my life for the first time in my life. I have forgiveness of sin. I have a gift of eternal life. And I have unbelievable peace and I'm still trying to flesh it out. And you're like my best friend. I don't want to go to heaven without you. How about it? And Phil looked over at me and says, yeah, yeah, I need that in my life. And listen, that's when I built the principle that if you're going to lead someone to Christ, it helps to have a gun in your hand. <laughs> Maybe chamber around before you ask them the question. Phil's involved in church now, and so he called me here a while back and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm in church, and, but um, we don't really value baptism, the church I'm in. And God has convicted me in reading scripture that I need to get baptized, and so I want to plan a trip to Colorado, we'll do a vacation, and then would you mind baptizing me in your church? And I said, absolutely. And so I'm telling you, telling you, friendships, that built over a lifetime you just cherish.
because Scripture says the only thing that lasts forever is love. Scripture says that God has a perseverance kind of love for us. That when we become his child, when we enter into a relationship with him, he says this in Romans 8.38, For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. Do you realize he has a, a perseverance type of love for you? That when you become his son, his daughter, when you're adopted into the family, when you accept him, there's nothing you can do to get kicked out of the, the family. It's a, it's a perseverance type of love, and he believes the best in you. Close with this illustration, with this story. It's a story about Elton John. Elton John had a, wrote a song called The Last Song. The Last Song was inspired because Elton John had a band member and his son was dying of AIDS. And, and there, was a, there was an encounter that happened with the son and the dad that marked Elton John. And out of that environment, he wrote these words in the song, uh, the last song. Here's what he said. Yesterday, you came to lift me up as light as straw and as brittle as a bird. Today, I, I weigh less than a shadow on the wall. Just one more whisper of a voice unheard because I never thought I'd love. I only thought I'd win. I never dreamed I'd feel this fire beneath my skin. I can't believe you love me. Never, I never thought you'd come. I guess I misjudged the love between a father and a son. Never misjudged the love that God has for you. It's a perseverance type of love. As you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let me ask you this morning. With your heads bowed and eyes closed. The only reason we ask for your heads bowed and eyes closed. Is just so there's no distractions in this room. So let me just ask you. What decision does God want you to make this morning? Maybe more importantly. What is, what is your next step? Maybe your next step is your first step. To where you, you just realize. You just realize. That God has this love for me. That's a protection type of love. That hopes the best in me. That trusts me. It's a perseverance type of love. And that when I'm in the family, nothing I can ever do or nothing anyone else can ever do can get me out of the family. And so maybe you're here this morning and maybe your testimony is a lot like mine. Maybe you didn't have a history of going to church. Well, I just need you to know we are just so thankful. We are so glad you're here this morning. And you're not here by accident. Maybe you need to accept him. And ask Him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. In the very best way that you know, there's no magic prayer. You just tell Him, I need a relationship with you. I need to be forgiven. I need that peace. I need that comfort. Maybe this morning you've already done that. And maybe you would use this as a relational health check. Is my love... Is my love a protection type of love? Do I trust? Do I hope? Do I believe the best? And am I committed? Do I persevere? And they know it. They just know. No matter what. I'm in this with you. Every one of us in this room has the next step. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what? I, I'm carrying a burden. I just I need prayer. Well, we want to lift that burden. We want to pray for you. So just in a few minutes, 
uh, after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, I'm going to invite you that if you need prayer in any area of your life, whether it's a medical issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, uh, uh, maybe you want to pray for someone else. You know what? Maybe you have a burden. Maybe God's giving you a burden that has nothing to do with what I've talked about this last 30 minutes. You just know you have a burden. You just know you need prayer. We want to pray for you. We really do. So after I pray, and if you need prayer, we're going to stand. And as we stand, you just real quickly make your way out. Come down to the front. We'll guide you from there. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that you have a love for us that perseveres, that nothing we can do can separate us from your love when we're in Christ. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people that have gathered this weekend. And, Father, we know that you have every person here for a reason. And we just pray that we'd be faithful with our next step. Father, that those that have a burden that just need prayer, Father, we just pray that they would understand they're not responding to a pastor. They're not responding to a church. They're responding to you. Because you're the only one that lifts burdens. And may we use our faith to pray for one another, to minister to one another in these times. We look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.